as a new church, it's so important for us to make sure that we build on the right foundation that we have uh, as we want to grow and, and honor God, the right ingredients, uh, especially as we find in God's word. So we're going to look at that today, a sermon titled The Witness. Fall is here. Finally, we have a Chamber of Commerce Day. This is the day that we have uh, wake up. Say, this is why we live in Florida, right? But how about the fall colors this year? What do you think about the fall colors so far? Okay, <laughs> woo-woo, there's a Floridian. What does that even look like? And one of the things we are blessed with is obviously great weather, but we miss out on some of the beauty of fall. Uh, how many of y'all have had a chance to see fall colors this year? Anybody have a chance to see? I don't know, several of you. Uh, we've actually had uh, two trips. I went and did a wedding in upstate New York in early October, uh, that time of year. Believe it or not, depending on how far north you go, it's like the peak time, you know. And I just heard that Kelly and Rick were just in uh, north Georgia, and it was peak then, this late in the season. I uh, also went up to Chattanooga, uh, that area, for our daughter's uh, senior night in volleyball and saw a little bit of fall colors there. But when it comes to fall colors, absolutely beautiful. But when you're colorblind, like I am, it changes the game completely. Now, colorblind, it's not like I can't see color. I just don't see as many colors as you do. And I can't distinguish between the colors. And so going somewhere where fall foliage is out is really annoying to everybody around me because I'm going to continually ask, hey, what color is that? What color is that? What color is that tree? Oh, look at that tree. That must be beautiful. What color? And nine times out of 10, here's what I usually get. It's brown. (laughs) Brown, really? Oh, it looks vivid. It looks brilliant. Look at the tree. It's on fire. What color is that? Brown. But no, look at that one. It's brown. Okay, there's some yellow. There's some orange. There's some different things. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of at a disadvantage of seeing the beauty of fall because I just don't have the ability to see it. This morning, we're going to look at a text that really has so much to do with ability of one's ability to see. To see themselves, see the world, to see God rightly. You see, the good news of the gospel is this, is because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. He is Christians. We have a unique lens, if you will, to see the world through or a different ability to see God and ourselves uh, through, especially the kingdom of God uh, through. As, as God has come to us, we realize part of seeing The world is seeing the reality that Jesus, well, he's more than just this man that lived a long time ago, that Jesus is the Lord. He's God in flesh, that he is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah. And as Christians, we're to see the beauty and the blessings of the world different than anyone else. We should see that fall leaves and say, wow, God, you're amazing. We should go to the beach and say, man, God, you are an incredible creator. We should see the moon and sometimes have our breath taken away saying, man, you spoke and that came into existence. We're so grateful. But we also should see the brokenness and the deformity of this world differently as well. As we see the beauty with grateful hearts, we should see the deformity and brokenness with willing hands. Here we are willing to help, willing to bring light, God's light and beauty into the world. The book of Acts I love how it begins. It was written by the same man, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Now he's writing the book of Acts. And it begins by telling us what Jesus did after his resurrection. And in verse chapter 1, 3, it says that Jesus spent 40 days showing up 
talking to his apostles and telling them about the kingdom of God. So here's what he really was doing. He spent 40 days rearranging their vision, helping them understand now the world, because everything changes with the reality that Jesus lived, that he was crucified, died, and that he was resurrected. Everything changes in light of that. We have to see our worlds, this world, differently. So he spends 40 days giving them an eye exam. 40 days helping them understand the kingdom of God. Not only that, but he also tells them, hey, you're going to, you're going to be my witnesses. I love that word. It's, it's the word we get, martyrs. That Christians are going to be those who give their life to tell God's story. A martyr. That you're going to be my storytellers, my witnesses, but I'm going to empower you to tell. It's not going to be on your own. I'm going to give you this gift of the promised Holy Spirit. We saw in Luke 2 that Joel's prophecy has come true, that we as Christians are empowered to see the world differently. The Holy Spirit comes upon us. And now that we are the storytellers. And what are we proclaiming? What story do we proclaim? Well, the good news that Jesus is alive and how we are now to operate as far as the kingdom goes. Christmas is coming. We're going to sing a song that is going to remind us that we have good news to take as far as the curse is found. And the curse of sin and brokenness, we find it in our own lives, our own homes, our own families, our own communities. It's all around us. And God has rescued us to bring good news into that reality. So the apostles back then, now here's the the important thing. The apostles back then and the Christians now We're in the same boat. We're all to be witnesses. Witnesses to what Jesus is doing and has done. We are now to have this empowered vision, this gospel vision. We're supposed to have like now this empowered gospel giving. Our lives should be markedly different. And we should be filled with worship. Really, uh, the reality is, is that we're going to come to a story here in Acts chapter 3 that shows us the power of what the resurrected Savior does. The proof is in the pudding. You're going to have this really cool story of a man who's going to be healed. But there's so much more than just the story on the surface. We're going to look to see what does it tell us today about the kingdom? What does it tell us about our lives seeing this story? We're going to see three things today. We're going to see gospel-powered seeing as Christians. Um, We have gospel-powered seeing. Gospel-powered giving. Our giving should be different. And let me hit pause It's different than what you probably think. And then thirdly, gospel-empowered worship. So let's look to God's word. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week in Acts chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 this morning. This incredible story. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Let me hit pause there and say it's kind of interesting here. Um, The temple is going to be destroyed in the year 70 AD. This is probably around 40-ish AD. Uh, The temple is still there. Jesus is resurrected, but it's still a part of their story for now. So here you have Christians going to this story. It's going to have a kind of a Jewish flair to it, uh, even next week's as well. But here they are. They're going there uh, around 3 p.m. Um, for prayer. There are certain prayers. There's probably the evening sacrifice as well. And a man lame from birth was being carried, 
whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of all, all those who entered entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, what an incredible story. And God, I know that it will remain just a story unless you come and you become the storyteller through a broken sinner like me. God, would you do that which only you could do? Would you give us ears to hear your voice in this story? Would you give us eyes to see who you are and ourselves rightly? Would you give us minds to understand? God, would you give us a great gift of faith to embrace and to believe? God, only you can do that. God, the things that I say that are wrong or just my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain this good news of the gospel of Jesus of Nazareth, would you use those things to to bring glory to yourself and to bring transformation to your people? God, come, be with us, receive glory, give us great challenge, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The first thing we're going to see in this story is this gospel-empowered seeing. Those who were once colorblind, if you will, to spiritual things are now able to see differently. Right after graduation, I had the greatest blessing in my life. I married uh, my sweetheart, Katie. I took a Winter Park girl that we were met at Florida Southern. Uh, got married right afterwards. I took a job working in New York City, the Big Apple. I mean, Is there any city in the world quite like New York? I mean, I love Chicago, love other cities, but New York City is an amazing city. And again, some of you may know that I grew up in New York, but ask us New Yorkers from upstate New York, we're nowhere near the city. I mean, it's about as foreign as a city to us as it is to others who go there. But when you go to New York City, you learn what it means to be a New Yorker. And New Yorkers can spot tourists a mile away. And you know what gives away a non-New Yorker? It's their gaze. It's what they look at, okay? If you see somebody walking in the streets of New York and they're doing this, and they're looking around and they're seeing, I mean, right away you should have a see, I'm clearly a tourist, come ask me for something, take full advantage of me because I have no idea. A New Yorker has a strategic way to walk through the city and make eye contact with no one, right? I mean, 
almost like they're oblivious to seeing anything. They, they can be stepping over people with great needs. I mean, it's just amazing ability not to lock eyes with somebody. Because once you lock eyes with somebody in New York, mm-hmm. so I tell my friends, now listen, here, we're going to go in the city. It's going to be a great time. I can't wait for you to see this stuff. Now, here's the deal. Now, you don't want to lock eyes with people, you know, unless you do. Because if you lock eyes with somebody, especially somebody who's going to be asking you something, I've had people literally walk with us for like a block because they locked eyes with a friend just asking them, will you please give me something? I say, beware. Beware to lock eyes. Just try to be like a New Yorker and pass by. Isn't that nice and warm? We see the kingdom of God, we see through the lens, as a Christian, we should see through the lens of the kingdom of God. We must see the world differently. And as Christians, listen, we've got to make eye contact. We've got to make eye contact with the world because why? We're the body of Christ. We need to make eye contact. We are to be Jesus' present on earth. We are to see and act like him. This whole story, it's an incredible story, really has to focus on how we see clearly. I don't know, as I read that, or you want to go back and look through that, look at how many times it's going to talk about seeing, uh, gazing. Let's look at it again real quickly. Uh, seeing clearly, the lame man from birth, he saw Peter and John go into the temple. So we see a seeing there. Peter and John, they directed their gaze at him. Clearly, there's eye contact going on there. And even more so, Peter is going to stop and say to the guy, look at us. In case there's any, look at us. Let's make sure that we have contact here. And it's very purposeful. It's very purposeful that Peter wants to make sure that this lame man is in complete vision and alignment with Peter. The lame man fixed his attention on them, expecting a handout. And that not only appearing, they also, at the end of the story, everybody recognized him. They saw this man. This is a guy. This is the one that they carried to that beautiful gate. This is the one that always asked us for a handout. They recognized him. You see, the gospel should give us eyes to begin seeing rightly. Listen, we got to see ourselves rightly. We got to see others rightly. We got to see the kingdom of God rightly. And the first thing is this. Let's start with this. And again, I, I kind of want to start by seeing others rightly, but I don't think we could see others rightly until we see ourselves rightly. The gospel allows us to see ourselves rightly. How do you see yourself? You see, Scripture will tell us, we read it today in Ephesians 2, that every single one of us, listen to this, every single one of us was born with a crippling disease of sin. Every single one of us spiritually it's totally broken. Our story is a story of brokenness. Our story is the fact, listen, how does scripture say who we are? Oh, yeah, we're made in God's image. We have worth. But here's the reality. You know what sin does to us? It messes us up so much from the inside out that scripture says you've got to be made new. For you to really understand and see rightly, for you really to have a relationship with God, you have to become, I have to become a new creation. God has to make something new that was so utterly broken. So the gospel gives us the ability to see ourselves rightly. And how we begin to see ourselves rightly, that we are like this crippled man. Yes, physically he was lame, but we spiritually are in the same boat. We need God's grace. 
Also seeing ourselves rightly is really that phrase, there but by the grace of God go I. You know that phrase, there by the grace of God. How is it when you see people are hurting? How do you see people who are below you? You know, in our nature, we kind of well up with pride. We think we're superior. We think that something that they did in their life that got them here. And obviously this lame man was lame from birth. I mean, he, he, what could he do with it, right? But it's, it's amazing how broken we are as we see the brokenness of others and we despise it. And we somehow think that we're above it, right? And we see the beauty of others above us and we lust after it. We're, we're a mess. But we got to see ourselves rightly. But there by the grace of God, by the grace of God, go I. What do you have that you could point to to say, I've made myself in this area? What do you have that you could look at? Your health, your wealth, your prosperity, your mind, your knowledge, your, your personality. What do you have that you could look to and say, I've done this? You see, there but by the grace of God, go I. How do you feel when you see someone holding a sign? How do you feel when you see the the brokenness of those around you? Do you really think there but by the grace of God go I? I think if we realize that reality, it changes everything about us. So we got to see ourselves rightly, that we too have been born with a crippling disease, but by God's grace, we could be in that same boat. But we also got to see ourselves rightly that we are to be witnesses. We are to be the salt and light. We are to we are to move into these stories. We got to respond. Listen, we we see the brokenness of the world and we know the answer is not political. Amen. It's not who's in Washington that's going to solve the world's brokenness problem for sure. Come on. The church is called to respond because we are God's witnesses. We are the aroma of Christ. We are the ones who've been transformed. And as the light of the world has come, he now says, now you're the light of the world. Now now you're the one. I'm going to move you. When you see the brokenness in the world, you move. Let's see and respond properly as God's witness, his message to the world. I love this also. Seeing ourselves rightly. Here's this is really important too. We've got to let others see us rightly as well. I love what Peter says. He says, look at us. Now, most times we don't want others to really look at us. We want people to look at what we project you for, for you to see, right? I mean, is it safe in the gospel for others to really see us as who we are? Let me tell you, this is what makes the gospel story beautiful. The world needs to see you and me as broken sinners. They need to see us as a mess who needs a savior, they need to see us not as people who have it all together that just need Jesus to get us over the finish line. They need us to see the reality, the truth, that we're dead in trespasses and sins without Christ. Apart from the grace of God, we're an utter wreck. And you can see the truth about us. The truth is, broken sinner who has a proneness to wander away from the God who loves him, but saved by grace. Let people see the truth of who you are. That you need a giant savior named Jesus. And he has come to rescue you and me. Don't pretend. Let them see the truth of who you and I really are. (laughs) Who they are they? This is what did Peter, Peter, look at us. We're ordinary stinking fishermen. We probably still smell like fish. We're uneducated men. We're just those who have been with Jesus. 
We're just those who've been filled with the Spirit. Look at us. The world is going to change through us, and we are nothing special here. Everything special there. Hmm. Really, the reality is, is we have to see ourselves rightly and let the world see us rightly as well. The second thing is this, seeing others rightly. You know, one of the greatest marital advice, that, counseling I've ever received is when we're in marriage counseling. And one of the things they say is, do you see your spouse rightly? Do you see them? Do you see their condition? Do you see their emotions? Do you see what's causing them to, to react that way? Do you really see them? And I know it sounds kind of pedantic, if that's the right word. It sounds like elementary, like that, you know, it's, it's, can you really see them? Of course I can see them. They're sitting right there. But I mean, do you see them? I'm telling you, there's times I'm like, wow, yeah, I do. And there's power in being able to see somebody uh, in the condition they are in. Well, you know, the reality that we have as Christians is we should see people from the condition that they're in. See people as the image of God, no matter what condition they're in. I love what C.S. Lewis would say. I think it's in the weight of glory. He says, there's no ordinary people. Listen, think of it. There's no ordinary people. You've never met a mere mortal. He's basically saying everybody made in God's image. He would say cultures are going to come and go and and power is going to come and go, but we're going to live forever on one side of the spectrum and not. not. Listen, I don't know if they're, what condition, but you've never met anybody that's just a mere mortal. The world may have broken them to a point where they're in a gutter. The world might have broken them physically. The world might have broken them spiritually in their own sin. But you've never seen anybody in any condition that wasn't an image bearer of God. They could even be acting perversely. But they're still an image of God. We have to see others rightly. And then see through the lens of the gospel that Jesus came to make all things new. That his miracle, this miracle is more than just like a side freak show. It's a, it's, it's a reality that Jesus' resurrected power really is come to make all things new. This man was born crippled. And I just love the story. He immediately, his ankles and feet were strong. He never walked before. And now he's leaping and jumping. You talk about a miracle. Those of you who have been a cast for several months, how long does it take you to get physical therapy to feel normal? Can you imagine someone who's never walked, who's never leaped, and all of a sudden the power of the gospel can change him like that? I know the power of the gospel changed me like that too. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. God has come to make all things new through his son. And when the kingdom comes in his fullness, there'll be no more brokenness. We will not see the deformity and brokenness along us. We should long and pray that kingdom come because it's still all around us, still within us seeing through the lens of the gospel, gospel empowered seeing. How do you see yourself? How do you see the world? How do you see those who are hurting around you? Is it through the gospel? Gospel empowered giving in verses six through seven. Several years ago, I got one of those calls that you get when you're a pastor and they terrify you, as you can imagine. I got this call from a friend of mine who said that, he has a friend who's needed prayer and needed some immediate attention because the dad was mowing his lawn and had a big ride-on mower and was just out doing his thing and didn't notice his son. He backed over him. He backed over his young boy. 
was fighting for his life, and they said, would you, would you go? I never met the guy. I was terrified. What do you say? What, 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 do you, what do you tell somebody when you show up at the hospital you've never met and has no idea who you are? And you know how I found him in that hospital that day? I, I just went to the sound of the wailing of a dad. You know, forget those wailings. And I went there, I don't know what to do. So you know what I did? I walked up to him and said, hey, my name's Jeff Jakes and I'm a pastor. And I just put my arms around him and I hugged him. And I wept with him. And we're praying for your son. And I got to tell you, I kind of felt kind of useless. I mean, I didn't really know what else to do other than go and hug him and go and be there with him. You know, later, and by the way, the son survived. The son, they tried to rehab the leg. It didn't, eventually they, they, they took the leg uh, from the knee down and he's been able to run and do things with a prosthetic and he's enjoyed as much of a normal life as you can enjoy with that tragedy. But through that thing, I'll never forget what was told to me. The story says that when I showed up, that dad says, I just felt like God showed up and gave me a hug. What you have. What I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus. Give what you have. I mean, they said, listen, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. Interesting, there's a story, and I want to get deep in the story, but there was a story of uh, Pope Innocent II, and I think he was with Thomas Aquinas, and they were counting the treasury and all the money that they had, and, and the Pope would say at one time, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I not. And the response says, nor can we say, rise and walk. Interesting, when the church's focus becomes money. But what I have to give to you, what do you have? What do you have? Listen, you have time, talent, and treasures. God has uniquely given, given us all the same amount of time. He's given you some specific tre- talent and some tre- treasures. How are you giving them away to advance the kingdom? Um, you know, Ken, I know that you go and you help at that camp. I know you help make guitars. I mean, I know what you do. You give of your time. What I have, I give to you. Uh, what do you have? What are you giving uh, to others? And I love the fact that Peter gave this man dignity. No matter what, we got to give in dignity. We got to give in the name of Jesus. It's not about us, it's about him. We give in his name for his glory. We give in his authority. I love it. I command you, rise and walk in the authority of God for God's glory. Giving obviously has to be spirit led. He didn't heal everyone. And I don't know the answer for you. I mean, I wish I could tell you, listen, this is what you're supposed to do when you get off I-4 and you see them asking for something. This is the right Christian thing to do. Can I just say, I'm going to get myself off the hook. It's got to be spirit-led. I mean, I think that there's a reality. I want to try to do something for them, but we got to see them rightly. But you don't have to give to everybody, but you sure should be committed to help somebody. And God is going to direct you. You know, I've tried to add to giving uh, in a way that because Jesus has given to me so much, you know, maybe there's somebody that you pay for their meal or somebody that you can see that's struggling at a cash register and you say, hey, you know what, put them on my, my deal. And oftentimes I want to do that and feel good about it. But I kind of got convicted of tell them why. Say, you know what, I got to tell you, man, I've been in that spot too. And God has just so blessed me. In his name, I want to bless you. So let me encourage you when you do give, uh, give in his name. Giving should not, we shouldn't give so our right hand knows what our left hand is doing. It shouldn't be for our own 
aggrandizement. It shouldn't be for our own egos. It should be him. Be open to help anyone. Be committed to help someone. Who are you committed to help? Pay attention to who God puts in your path. Pay attention. He's sovereign God. And what are you to give them? What I love about being a chaplain to first responders is what first responders do is everything opposite of what we all do. When disaster comes, first responders run into what is broken and wrong, right? And everybody else runs away. But as Christians, we're supposed to be the first responders. When things are broken and wrong, we run into those things in the name of Jesus for the glory of God to help. And we give what we have. And sometimes it's a hug. And sometimes it might be money. And sometimes it might be time. I don't know. But we are the church and we got to give what God has given to us, to others, for his glory. To let the world know that he's making all things new. And that he is going to one day take away, I love what Lewis would say, that everything sad will become untrue. Lastly, gospel-empowered worshiping, verses 8 through 10. John Piper, a preacher, um, author, theologian, Uh, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, says this, it's so true, that worship is the fuel and goal of missions. That missions exist because worship doesn't. Think about that, that worship is the fuel and the goal of missions, that missions exist, evangelism exists because worship doesn't. That of all the things that church does will fade away, but the thing that church does that will never fade away is worship. We were created to worship him, and we will forever worship him if we are his. So the goal of all that we do should be for others to worship God, helping others reach Jesus, helping them up, bringing them into the presence of Jesus because we are today's temple. We are the presence of God, raising them up to know the name of Jesus. And isn't this exactly what Jesus does for us? He raises us up from our broken estate and brings us into his presence for his praise and glory. If you get this story, worship is the natural response to healing. If Jesus has touched your life, if he's made you new, if he's forgiven your sins, you're going to worship him. That's going to be it. We're going to leap and jump and praise God. I think that our worship will be in direct correlation to the depth that we see ourselves. We realize the disease of our sin and what we've been healed from and worship him. Worship is contagious. All the people saw him and they, they too were praising God. They're like, oh my goodness. They were filled with wonder and amazement. I would think so. In worship, and what's transformative, when a life is transformed, it leads others to be filled with awesome worship. Let other people see the reality that we're broken sinners transformed by God's grace. Who are you raising up to be in the presence of God? Be open to help anyone. Be committed to help someone. Okay, as I close, let me ask a question. Who are we supposed to be in this story? As you read the story, oftentimes, are you like me? I kind of put myself in the story. You know who I always want to be? The hero. (laughs) I always want to be the hero. I always want to be the strong one. I always want to be that. I always want to be the one that gets the most glory. That's me. But who are we in the story? We're the lame man. The story becomes real. It becomes the gospel when you realize That's who we are apart from God's grace. That's our condition apart from the reality of the cross. And until we get that gospel understanding of who we rightly are, 
until we see ourselves as that lame beggar. Don't forget, we're, we're just fellow beggars who found the bread of life in Jesus, who have found Jesus and our lives have been transformed. And now what do we do? We tell other beggars, here's good news. This Jesus, he really gives life. He gives forgiveness. He loves us just as we are. You know, it's interesting uh, for fall, for many of my friends up north, I talk to them, hey, how's fall this year? How are the leaves? How is it? You know, for many of them, they appreciate fall. But, you know, the thing about fall, for those who live in a cold part of the world, fall is really the precursor, is the ominous sign that winter is coming. That pretty soon they're going to have, these leaves are going to fall. These dead leaves are going to fall. And they brace themselves from a long, bleak, cold winter. This story is an announcement that spring has sprung that life reigns, that Jesus has conquered death and he's conquered winter. The kingdom of God is now here. Our enemy has been defeated. We're going to still share some, have some battles on the way to fight this life to come. But don't forget, the war's won. We're on the winning side. We live our lives in light of Jesus' victory. We are his witnesses we move in to the brokenness of the world with good news. Jesus lives. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the amazing grace you've given to this lame, broken man and that you've given to this lame, broken man. My brokenness may not have been seen as clearly because it weren't physical. But the reality is, we're just as broken. We need mending and grace. And that's the good news of the gospel. Father, I pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know the beautiful reality of what it means to be forgiven, loved, and set free. Today would be the day. And God, for those of us who have tasted your goodness and have seen the new life you've given to us. God, may we see brokenness rightly. May we move into the story with the good news of the gospel. All for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.